This Week in HPC. ARM charts path to 7 nanometers. And DDN refreshes grid scalar storage. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, This Week in HPC, we've got some evolution in ARM. Yeah, indeed we do. We haven't talked about ARM in a while. We've talked about open power a lot. Of course, we talk about Intel and x86 a lot, but like GPUs you said, also. GPUs, FPGAs even. But um, now we're back to ARM. They, there was an announcement by ARM Limited this week that they've uh, announced a collaboration with Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, the manufacturers of uh, chips for a lot of different uh, companies and vendors. They're collaborating on their leading-edge 7-nanometer FinFET process technology, which is coming into existence sometime in probably 2017. But they've, they've set this up to collaborate with them, with their partners who actually manufacture the chips, so that they'll be part of that. And the interesting part of this for our community is that it's really directed at high-performance computing or high performance chips, high performance uh, chips for the data center, uh, which obviously is going to include uh, HPC chips that are going to be going into future systems. Yeah, this is something that's important because as we look at all the different microprocessor options in the HPC space, we already know that there are experiments going on across the HPC landscape to see what the applicability of ARM could be for high-performance computing types of workloads, most notably uh, projects that we talked about at Barcelona. Uh, Sandia, I think, has some work going on. But uh, overall, we haven't seen very much penetration yet of, of ARM in HPC, it's been quite low, and this is something that we've researched in a in a deep dive uh, research study, looking at people's evaluation of all of these different uh, processor options. And the incidence of any usage of ARM is low; only three percent of users say that they they've actually done some work on ARM. But when you look at whether or not they'll evaluate it, that actually becomes uh, a lot higher. Where uh, now you get a total of thirty percent of HPC users talk about having done some, or they're doing now some evaluation of ARM, and that goes up when you look at what they might plan to evaluate in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's actually significant, because like we've just been talking about, ARM hasn't been really public about its performance plans. I mean, they talk about different types of chips all the time. Obviously, they're big in the mobile space, but um, they haven't been as public as, say, the Open Power Consortium has been about their penetration into the, the high-performance market. So, the fact that HPC end users are are kind of bullish on evaluation, uh, I think says something about the potential that is being seen uh, in, in this market, in this architecture, just sort of organically. Yeah, part of it is that when we survey users about how many architectures they think they're going to have deployed, that's where we really do see this pendulum swinging back toward specialized architectures that we're moving out of this era of, of a one-size-fits-all, and, and we're going to tailor the application to the architecture that we run. Now we're going to see more of a matching. These architectures are going to match to these workloads, and these architectures will match to these workloads. 
the the majority of the HPC uh, user community will start planning for multiple architectures. And when you look out to the to the future of uh, of ARM, uh, about 28% have a favorable impression right now of of where ARM is going. And uh, and if you start looking at will you evaluate or use ARM over the next couple of years, the total there starts going up to over half of the industry planning to to uh, at least evaluate, if not use ARM. Yeah, and I think announcements like this will just sort of reinforce that. The fact that they're aggressively seeking out, you know, the seven nanometer node uh, kind of speaks in the in the data center. Kind of speaks to, you know, what they see as the competition. Obviously, to compete with x86 and and Intel in particular and their uh, manufacturing capability, they've they've got a not far too far behind in the process technology race because that's what drives a lot of the performance and especially power efficiency uh, features of the chip. So uh, they've got to do this. And the fact that they're focusing on this and focusing on high-performance chips, I think will reinforce uh, like the studies that you were just talking about. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. If you look at why ARM is attractive to begin with, um, you know, the the idea of of power efficiency and can we scale uh, a lower power envelope chip? That's going to be uh, attractive in any kind of uh, supercomputing or super scalable environment. I think as we start looking into hyperscale environments, the the appeal only goes up from what we've been talking about. The idea that you might have a more power efficient envelope. For for, uh, for doing the computation, if you can get it to scale out and be parallel enough. And, and I think that's going to be the exact kind of work that people are going to be doing uh, as they evaluate ARM. What kind of jobs, what kind of workloads can we get uh, into this scale-out environment on ARM? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why why ARM decided several years ago to go after this market. There's a huge opportunity there. The margins are good, certainly better than the margins on the mobile market, and they've got some in built-in uh, advantages. They think that they can they can exploit in the data center. So, right, yeah. telecom too, which either is or isn't part of the hyperscale market, depending on your taste for that. We tend to count it. Right, right. I mean, telecom is definitely into portions of the cloud market, and they have the same uh, challenges and opportunities that uh, some of the other cloud providers have. And and they'll actually they're going to be looking at ARM very closely as well. I think it's it's something that that ARM has a long term strategy to address, and and this is uh, this is all part of that. Well, uh, interesting uh, news development. We'll keep watching that on the compute side. And meanwhile, on the storage side this week in HPC, we did see a notable uh, product refresh out here or, or product line completion out of DDN, which has led our site census surveys in terms of the number of people who say they use DDN storage for their their high-performance computing types of environments. Now, I think th- that alone, uh, you know, people, they're there's a lot of hidden EMC and NetApp and HDS kind of revenue out there that people don't think of as HPC, whether you're running an HPC application on it or not. But for the real high-performance storage environments, I think a lot more people are looking to DDN. And they've got, a, uh, uh, like I said, a refresh or an extension on, on their high-end storage line, their high-performance NAS, where they've introduced the grid scaler or GS14K. 
as part of their environment, and that's an expansion from their SFA 14K architecture. Right. The grid scaler has been been with. Uh, been in that line for a while. The, uh, that's the one that supports, uh, has GPFS running as the engine, parallel file system engine underneath, and they've, they've put their secret sauce on top of that. And here, like he said, they've upgraded it. They're going to support such things as EDR InfiniBand, uh, uh, the OmniConnect uh, technology, and even NVMe uh, SSD technologies, because they're talking a lot more about the flash storage these days, especially with, with regard to uh, the, the latest uh, 14K product lines. So, yeah, it's basically an upgrade, and they're going to offer, as with all upgrades, better density, better power performance, and, uh, you know, better price performance. So, uh, another big point release for them, and uh, going forward, they're, they're looking at uh, not just HPC, but the, the wider data analytics space, uh, and adding in the uh, support for things like Hadoop and OpenStack and, and other sort of analytics workflows that uh, need NAS environments. Right. Uh, we should mention both of these stories covered well in one of our partner publications, Enterprise Tech. Right. George Leopold uh, talking about the ARM scalability for, for data centers, and Doug Black wrote up the, the new DDN product line in uh, in Enterprise Tech. So, good stories over there. But, but yeah, this is really an important uh, uh, product line extension completeness for, for DDN. We really ought to see more of these parallel file systems deployed in high-performance environments, and now DDN has that full complement of products at the high end, whether you're looking at a parallel file system implementation in a high-performance NAS with the grid scaler line, or whether you're looking at an object store line with the, the WAS product. I'm starting to suspect that some uh, commercial end users might end up even skipping over, leapfrogging the, the parallel file system line of thinking and going directly to an object store, where you have a storage operating system that abstracts you above the file system layer. That's kind of an interesting trend we're going to keep watching for. And then, as you said, they've got the burst buffer, well, not just burst buffer, but the flash integrated uh, IME line, where the, the that uh, integrated flash can be used not only for as a burst buffer, but for things like file system acceleration or, or optimizing applications. Uh, it's uh, really a, a full suite of high-performance products now for DDN. Yeah, indeed, and and we should mention the mention the burst buffer. They they do have that as an option on the GS14K here, as as well as the right. the normal support for all the uh, traditional NAS protocols, CIFS and NFS, and things like that. But uh, yeah, this is uh, like you said, something that uh, plays right into their wheelhouse in HPC. And uh, and I think yeah, your thesis about object storage over and above this uh, is a good one. I mean this product will we'll get a lot of uptake in HPC, but a lot of the enterprise guys outside of our realm uh, might just kind of skip over the parallel file system uh, evolution and, and go right to object storage. That's something that, you know, obviously didn't occur and is not going to occur in uh, HPC. It's going to be an evolution towards object storage uh, in a more methodical manner here. But yeah, uh, DDN is sort of playing uh, across the market here and, and like you said has a product line that sort of fits a lot of different needs at the at the upper end of the scalability limits. 
Well, before we wrap up this week in HPC, we should add a footnote to what we were talking about last week in HPC, where we had a story in last week's podcast about AlphaGo, the artificial intelligence program out of Google that was taking on Lee Sedol in uh, in the ancient game of Go and was doing quite well. At the time of the podcast we were recording, it was leading the five-match series two to zero, and we were projecting that they were going to go on to win, and, and they have, but it wasn't perfect all the way down. Now, Lisa Dahl managed to grab a, a one game, uh, a win in one of the games, so he lost. He did lose four to one, but managed to redeem himself at least for that single game. But still, uh, quite an impressive dominance by the artificial intelligence software uh, generated by uh, Google here. So, yeah, another sort of interesting and well known. Uh, Game goes down to uh, machine learning here, or artificial intelligence, we should say. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess we're going to see more of this as as this technology advances. It's it's uh, a little bit sobering to think that, and uh, a little bit uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, something I, for well, humanity. Yeah, well, one thing that I noted about it was after losing the first of those games, uh, Lee Sedol commented that he had made a tactical error early and then he never managed to recover from it. And in the one game that uh, AlphaGo lost, there were commenters who said, commentators who said, well, it made a tactical error early that it never recovered from. So maybe even more proof that artificial intelligence can be human-like after all. Yeah, which is actually just sort of a, a, another rationale why these, these can compete so well. But yeah, a very interesting match, and uh, it's it's going to be a, an interesting area to follow as as these things go forward, and we see more and more sophisticated efforts like this uh, challenging things that we've always associated with just human intuition and, and ingenuity. It's it's sort of amazing to to be living at this time. Well, we'll be um, looking forward to discussing all of these things on an ongoing basis. That'll wrap us up this week. I'm looking forward to coming back next week where I'll be able to talk about the HPC Advisory Council uh, meeting in Lugano, Switzerland. I'll report back on some notes from that. Excellent. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 